0: You are listening to an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's Word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org. So I have a question for you this morning as we begin a new section in the book of Hebrews chapters 5 through 7. Um, <clears throat> as This section focuses on Uh, Jesus Christ and his unique priesthood. So it's an interesting line of thought that the author of Hebrews is going down as he stresses to those who are reading this book in the first century and every century since then uh, that they must turn to Christ. And he takes a significant chunk of his letter to talk about the unique priesthood of Jesus Christ. Now, I must confess... As I have talked to people about Christ uh, in my 50 plus years of being a Christian, I have never talked to anyone about the priesthood of Jesus Christ. That has not been part of the gospel presentation, the gospel interaction or dialogue. Uh, So this is unique. And yet this is an important part of what the author of Hebrews brought before that first century a set of churches to which it was written, but also down through the centuries. So therefore it's important for us to understand the priesthood of Jesus Christ, its relevance and its importance. That's all wrapped up in the uniqueness of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. So we begin with this morning by asking the question, who is Melchizedek? How many of you have heard of Melchizedek? Most of you. Well, we come to Hebrews chapter five, and he works his way down, talking about uh, the the priesthood and the uh, priesthood of Aaron, the Aaronic priesthood. And he gets to verse six, and he quotes. He says, he also says in another place, this is quoted from Psalm one ten, "You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek." Who is this guy? He he distinguishes Jesus Christ as having this distinction of being of the order of the priesthood of Melchizedek. Open the pages of the Old Testament, especially in the Pentateuch, and you will find voluminous amount of material on the Aaronic priesthood, the descendants of Aaron, Moses' brother. And they were... Set aside to be the, the priestly family, the priestly tribe. And it's extensive what is said about Aaron and the priest and the high priest that functioned in Israel was a, a part of this Aaronic priesthood. There's a lot there. But this priesthood seems to be even more important than the Aaronic priesthood. So what is said about him? The answer, in the Old Testament anyway, the answer, not much. And yet, the writer of Hebrews spends three chapters talking about different different dimensions of the uh, Melchizedekian uh, priesthood. And he unfolds a lot about the priesthood of Melchizedek that is not stated or revealed or spoken to in the Old Testament. So we'll learn a lot about this priesthood in these chapters and why it's significant. But this morning I want to take us back to the Old Testament and to these two passages of Scripture and answer this question of who is Melchizedek? We go to Genesis chapter 14 to begin with. I like this table. It could be like table talk. <laughs> Genesis chapter 14. The context leading up to verses 17 through 20. There's a war going on. Surprise, surprise. The history of mankind is filled with battles. From more very localized ones to regional ones to empire-wide ones. But throughout human history and in Scripture, battle, 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 war, war, war. And our Lord Jesus Christ said that as the his return approaches that there will be an increase of wars and rumors of wars. Mankind has not been able to escape the reality of war. It's with us and will continue to be with us. And so that's what's happening in Genesis chapter 14. Some personalities that we um, struggle perhaps to pronounce their names and where they lived, verse 1, And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch king of Elisar, Ketalormar, king of Elam, entitled king of nations, that they made war with Bera, king of Sodom. You've heard of Sodom, right? So it's, it's not too far from where Abraham is living at this time. Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Sh- Sh- Shanab, king of Admah, Shemimber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bila, that is, Zoar. So some of those names you recognize from the account of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. All these joined together in the valley of Sidim, that is, the Salt Sea, known today as the Dead Sea. And it goes on to explain you know, their motivation for doing it. Verse 14, we drop down, it says... Now when Abram, he had not yet, his name had not yet been changed to Abraham. Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, his, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. So he had his own little militia for protection. All of them did that had any kind of wealth. And Abraham had a lot of wealth. So he had his militia. If you were one of Abraham's employees, part of that employment was training to serve in his militia. They knew how to fight. And so they took off. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So that's up in Syria. So that's that's quite a truck from where they're at, near Sodom and Gomorrah. So he, he tracked them up the land and attacked as he had opportunity and overcame them. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. He brought everything back. And the king of Sodom and went out the, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaba, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Ketalomar and the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem. So there we are. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. Let's stop there. Here's Melchizedek. And as we noted up here, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Zedek is the root form of righteousness and Malki is the form of king. And so king of righteousness, that's that's what his name means. And he was the king of Salem, which uh, most who have studied this portion of Scripture and the culture and the antiquity of that time uh, believe that that was Jerusalem. You can Salem is the last part of the name of the city, Jerusalem. And so at this point All that's all it's said, and that's referring to the true and living God. That's referring to Yahweh, not, a, not any of the other deities that were worshipped throughout Canaan and throughout the civilizations in that part of the world. God Most High is a very unique name specific to Yahweh, the one who has revealed himself, the self-existent one, revealed in the Scriptures. And he was a priest of him. There was obviously no temple in Jerusalem, no tabernacle. There's no indication that he had a, a, some kind of a temple or structure like that in which and from which he operated. But he was a priest of God Most High. There's no indication of any kind of regulations, stipulations, uh, practices uh, that Melchizedek engaged in as far as priestly conduct, like you have extensively revealed with the priesthood of Aaron. It's just that he's the priest of God Most High. So obviously there was a presence in this pagan land of testimony of the living God. That's an important detail just to latch on to. Because literally throughout that land of Canaan alone, were a number of false deities that had been generated, created by the inhabitants of that land over a period of time. And yet in the midst of them, in the city of Salem, was this man, Melchizedek, operating as a priest bearing some kind of ministry, some kind of testimony on behalf of God Most High. What what that looked like? Don't know. But we can know from what is said about him that he had his presence there and he served God most high. And Melchizedek blessed Abraham and said this, Blessed be Abraham of God most high. So Melchizedek recognized that Abram was a true servant of God most high. That Abram had a true relationship with God Most High. That Abram was one who isolated his worship to God Most High. They were on the same page. And he said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. So this was one of the affirmations concerning God most high is that he is the one who possesses heaven and earth which is consistent with the revelation that we see in Genesis concerning God being creator. And so among other things that Melchizedek emphasized as testimony among the population in that area is that there is one God and he is God most high and he is the possessor of heaven and earth. That's unique to him. Verse 20, And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So he's recognizing that it is God Most High, this unique one, who has achieved this great victory through and by Abraham and his 318 servants. And taking down the army of these five kings. Amazing. But isn't our God amazing? He is. And he gave him a tithe of all. So Abram gave Melchizedek a tithe 10%. <laughs> of what he had secured. That's all we're told. We don't know if it was required. We don't know if it was demanded. But obviously there was a connection there and a a realization that what was accomplished here was by the hand of God Most High, whom Melchizedek served as high priest and who as Abraham served as a called-out servant through whom God would make a great nation a great people. And he paid him a tithe. Now, you know what a tithe was in the Old Testament? It was 10%, but there was more than one tithe. Do you know that? You do now. <laughs> There's more than one tithe. A tithe was a tax. That's how in, under the Aaronic priesthood and when, nation, when Israel was formed as a nation and God organized it and gave the regulations and part of those regulations dealt with the tithe the tithe went the 10% went to support the priesthood that's how it was funded it wasn't voluntary giving there was voluntary giving in the old testament that was on top of the tithe but it was a tax and you put all the tithes together and it amounts to about 23% um, roughly, of, of their income. So they play, paid about a 23% tax uh, as patrons of the nation of Israel when it became a nation. Now I say that because Abraham gave a tithe of all he had to, to Melchizedek. So obviously Melchizedek was supported on some level in some way by those to whom God called him to minister. One of them obviously was Abram. That's all that we can patch together here. We don't dare go any further than that, trying to add layers and layers of detail that are not there. So this is our introduction to Melchizedek. And we can learn some important uh, realities about him. But there's not a lot of detail, is there? Now we go to Psalm 110 from which the writer of Hebrews quoted in Hebrews chapter 5. And the statement is in verse 4, but we want to work our way to especially verse 1. This is a passage that our Lord quoted in his ministry. The Lord said to my Lord as he was being uh, confronted by those who uh, challenged his claim to being the son of God, which meant he was saying he was God. So he quoted uh, this passage of Scripture, at least on one occasion, probably more than that, And he said, the Lord said to my Lord. So God's talking to himself. He's talking among himself. That's not the first time we've seen that kind of expression in the Old Testament. We see that expression in the very first chapter, in the very first few verses. And and God said, let us make man in our image. So there was conversation. It doesn't say how many in, in that, but it's a plural, meaning more than one. Let us make man in our image. Here's another instance in the Old Testament of conversation in the Godhead. Now let's unpack this a little bit. The Lord, Yahweh. Tetragrammatum, as it's technically known. It's the four letters that are used uh, to um, represent, to spell the name for Yahweh. It wasn't pronounced by the the Jews all the way through their existence. In reverence, in respect, in worship of the true and living God, of this one who has revealed himself as a self-existent one. But it is written... The Lord said to my Lord, Adonai, which means Master, Lord, Sovereign. Now Adonai was the word that was, the the name that was spoken in place of Yahweh. And so literally a, a Jew or a Hebrew reading this Yahweh would not say Yahweh, they would say Adonai, as far as speaking it. The word would be there, they would see Yahweh, but they would say Adonai. So Adonai said to my Adonai. The significance of this is that by using the name Adonai, it is putting that one who is referenced as Adonai as the same who is Yahweh. Adonai, they could verbalize and would verbalize in place of Yahweh. It's saying that he's God. And what does he say? Sit at my right hand. So God says to God, Yahweh says to Yahweh, Adonai says to Adonai, you sit at my right hand. So there's conversation and there's activity in the Godhead. They're co-equal. The name is stating they're co-equal in every way. And so this conversation is taking place among equals. Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And of course we know through subsequent scripture and revelation that that culmination will be when our Lord Jesus Christ returns and establishes His kingdom and the nations will be judged and conquered by him and they will become his footstool. Footstool in in the culture in Hebrew of that time uh, was an expression that said total conquering, total domination of your enemy. The concept was that you would put your foot over the head or neck of your enemy and they would be like under your footstool. So it's an expression of total victory, total conquering, total domination. He says, till I make your enemies, your foots, a total victory. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. This is a messianic portion of this psalm. In other words, it's prophetically referring to the Messiah. So I will send him out of Zion, which is Judah. And he will rule in the midst of your enemies. So it's talking about that this one who is told to sit at the right hand of Yahweh, who is Yahweh as well, will be there until the enemies of Yahweh are totally conquered and he will rule in the midst of his enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power in the beauties of holiness From the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. Now, watch this. The Lord has sworn and will not relent as he speaks to this one who is Adonai, referred to as Adonai. Yahweh said to Adonai, He says, The Lord Yahweh has sworn and will not relent. This is going to happen. You are a priest forever. So part of the inherent and necessary person and ministry of Jesus Christ the Messiah is that of operating as the priest, the unique priest, the forever priest. No one from the Aaronic line is a forever priest. They have a shelf life. They had a shelf life. And therefore their descendants from the line of Aaron would then become priests. But not with Jesus Christ. He is a priest forever. Now watch this. According to the order of Melchizedek. So this tells us that this priesthood of, Jesus, uh, of Melchizedek was a very unique priesthood existing at the time of Abraham. Did it exist prior to the time of Abraham? We are not told in Scripture. We could assume that it was. Did it exist after Melchizedek, this historical figure, is referred to in Scripture? We're not given any details there. But we are told that the Melchizedekian priesthood is a forever priesthood, and it's different from the Aaronic priesthood. It's based from Judah and Zion, and Jesus Christ is of the tribe of Huh? Judah. That's right. So he can be this priest in this line because he's from Judah. An Aaronic priest would have to be of the tribe of Levi. And we'll bump into all kinds of information and detail about that in Hebrews and the significance of it. And so Melchizedek is this unique priest who lived and operated in and around Salem, what later became known as Jerusalem, 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 as it's stated in Hebrew. And that's where he was based by God's providence and God's purpose. He did ministry there. He was recognized as priest of God Most High. Those who also knew God Most High and worshipped him such as Abraham at least from time to time they paid tithe to him to support uh, him and, and the ministry that God Most High had him doing. And that's what we know about him on the pages of scripture until we come to Psalm 110 and we're told that the Lord, Yahweh, says to the Lord, Adonai, sit at my right hand. I'll make your enemies uh, under your footstool. And you are a priest forever after the order, the pattern of Melchizedek. So <coughs> unique person in the Old Testament can only be fulfilled by a truly unique person in the New Testament, in the New Covenant in the modern era, and Jesus Christ is that person. Now, Lord willing, we will unfold and unpack the significance of that in chapters 5 through 7 of Hebrews. But that's Melchizedek, king of righteousness. That's the literal meaning of his name. King of Salem. Salem means peace. Jesus Christ is the one who uniquely and only serves as a high priest in that line. Unique. So that's Melchizedek. And we'll see how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that as we work our way through Hebrews 5, 6, and 7. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the blessing of being here. We thank you for the blessing of worship together this morning that we have enjoyed. And not only enjoyed, it's been a blessing to our minds and hearts and souls as we've joined together in song and in praise to you. Uh, Lord, it's, it's, it has blessed us inwardly. It has blessed us in our minds and in our hearts. And uh, Lord, as we've come together around your word, Um, Lord, we we have come to a fuller understanding of this unique personage uh, that you have spoken of and um, (coughs) told us that Jesus Christ is the high priest of this order, uh, the unique person of Jesus Christ. There's none like him. There's none like you, Lord Jesus, nor can there be. You are unique, distinct, and different. You are God in human flesh. We confess this, we believe this, and we live our lives in this great reality. And we call men to come to faith and trust in you, Lord Jesus, as the only wise God, the only Savior, in whom there there is, besides whom there is no salvation. It's in you, Lord Jesus. And as we go uh, forth from this day, We pray that we'll be looking for those opportunities this week and praying for those opportunities this week to talk to those around us about you, Lord Jesus, and not just generally talk about you, but Lord Jesus, our desire is to tell them the good news that you have brought to us and that we have personally embraced through faith in you and to share that with others, that they too may come to know and trust Christ as Lord and Savior. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org.